So we saw last week that Philippians is a book of unspeakable joy that calls those who trust in Jesus to rejoice, to have joy in every circumstance with eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus. I wonder as you look back over the last seven days since you heard that from Philippians, if you felt that joy this week? Or maybe a better question, what stopped you at points this week feeling that joy? Maybe you're thinking as you look over the past week, if you just knew my circumstances, if you just knew what was going on at home, if you realised what I was going through right now, maybe you're a family of six or more and the last week has felt unfair or the prospect of another national lockdown or even a local one makes you feel miserable. Maybe there's serious things going on for you at home, illness. Maybe there's job issues. Maybe there's financial issues. There's things that we could let really steal our joy. But see, as we come to this book, we could feel really sorry for Paul. It looks like he's got every reason not to be joyful. Do you remember writing from prison? But he writes with unspeakable joy. And here in this passage, he makes it so clear why he has that joy. By addressing head on the things that he could say would steal his joy. But they don't. So first we're going to see verses 12 to 18. Paul has unspeakable joy in gospel proclamation. And we see this pattern. First, we see it in verse 12. Look down. Keep it open because it will be really helpful to have the passage open. So do make sure you've got it there. Verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. See what Paul's saying? It's served to advance the gospel what's happened to him. He's talking about his circumstances. What's happened to him? Jail opposition, it all pales into insignificance for the greater cause, which is the gospel being advanced. And that is a joy to Paul. Do you see what's in particular focus as he writes that sentence? It's not his circumstances, his suffering, his jail cell. No, what's in focus is that the gospel is being advanced. Look at verse 14. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. What has happened to him being in chains has caused his brothers and sisters to be more confident to do what? To proclaim the gospel. See, he writes in that same way, not letting his circumstances or or what's happened be front and centre. No, because the big picture is that the gospel is proclaimed. And that is a joy to Paul. Look at verse 18. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motive or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. See, what's in the big picture for Paul? That Christ is preached. That the gospel is being proclaimed. See, Whatever his circumstances are at this time, he writes even from prison, he's thrilled 
He has unspeakable joy. Why? Because the gospel is being proclaimed. Paul has unspeakable joy in gospel proclamation. Each time he talks about his circumstances, what's in real focus? The good news about Jesus. And that it's, verse 12, advanced. Verse 14, proclaimed. Verse 16, defended. Verse 18, preached. It's so simple. As Paul talks about what's going on, he's just so convinced that the good news about Jesus is so good. And it's true. And it's so vital. It's all transforming. It's of such value. It's the one thing that matters that it completely shapes the way he perceives his own circumstance. It completely shapes the way he talks about what's going on. We heard last week about the context to which the book was written in Acts 16. And actually all the way through the book of Acts, we get a similar kind of um, way it's described of what's going on. There's this refrain that you keep hearing and the word of God continued to flourish and spread. See, what's in view, what's in focus throughout is not the disagreements, it's not the opposition, it's not what's going on in the foreground, but it's the big picture. What's in real focus amongst all of that is that the proclamation of the gospel, the spread of the good news about Jesus. And that is a joy to Paul. And if you sit listening this evening, trusting the good news of Jesus, you know that joy. When you hear it proclaimed to people that don't yet know it, you can't help but feel that joy. Even it's as, as simple as when you listen to the Queen at Christmas. I've got to be honest, this might make me unpopular, but I don't make it a massive Christmas priority to sit down and listen to the Queen's speech. I don't. But every year, I do look forward to seeing what she said about Christmas. And when you listen live or, or when you look back to see what she said, when you see that she's named the Lord Jesus as the heart of the Christmas message, you can't help but feel joy you can't help but be glad it's such a small thing that that is obvious about christmas to us yet to hear the queen say to millions of viewers that christmas is about jesus is still a joy i often find myself working in busy coffee shops in big cities often university cities which is quite ironic, really, because I don't like coffee and I quite like working in the quiet. But when I do, I'll find myself playing this game. It's a very simple game with a pretty average title. Are they Christians? Uh, I mean, you can probably work out how it works. I sit in a coffee shop and inevitably there's often people come in that meet as Christians and read the Bible together, do a one-to-one. And now I feel like I should be able to notice. I should be able to work out. I'd, I'd probably back myself to look at two people walking into a coffee shop and before they get a Bible open or before they mention anything of God, I'd back myself to work out that they were Christians. There's the game. Are they Christian? And the moment that it becomes obvious, the moment a Bible's opened or, or something, you can't help but give it a little celebration, sit there kind of 
tucked behind your laptop in a coffee shop and you go, yes. Now, I was in Cafe Nero last Christmas, actually, preparing for a carol service or, or something at Town Church. And I was looking around and two people entered the coffee shop. I was between meetings and um, I looked and I was sure. I was just convinced, you know, when you just get that gut feeling, it's maybe something about what they were wearing or, or who knows. They walked in and I was pretty sure. But it became pretty obvious quite quickly that I was wrong, joyously wrong. Because as I sat there, them on the next table, me on my laptop, just listening in to the conversation, it became obvious that no, instead it was one lad opening the Bible with someone who'd never looked at it before. And he nervously, fumbling around, got his Bible out and spoke about what was in the pages of God's word. And as I realised, I was joyously wrong. I couldn't help but grin. What a joy to listen in to someone humbly pointing to the good news about Jesus. And as I sat there, I just beamed and prayed. What a joy to see the gospel proclaimed, to see the gospel advance. And maybe you'll know personally the joy of having a friend sat next to you at an event where the gospel's proclaimed. Maybe you'll know the joy of a friend texting you saying they logged into the online service. The joy of opening the pages of the Bible with someone who doesn't yet trust in Jesus. Because when you recognise the truth about Jesus, you will find unspeakable joy in gospel proclamation. We've seen that at Town Church through lockdown. It has been a joy to hear a friend's coming under the sound of the gospel as Christ is preached. Paul finds joy because his concern is that Christ is preached. Can I ask you, where are you seeking to advance, proclaim, preach Christ, as Paul says? <coughs> Which friend is it that would bring you such joy if they turn to trust in Jesus? And maybe as you look back on the last seven days, as I asked at the beginning, you're struggling for joy. If your circumstances feel all-consuming at the moment, when was the last time you spoke about Jesus to someone who doesn't yet trust in him? Because Paul says, when we do, we'll find joy. Where in the last weeks have you been tempted to let circumstances of coronavirus, of life as we know it at the moment, stop you from being intentional about sharing the message of the gospel to those who desperately need it. Maybe you're thinking, okay, well, it's all very well saying that, that, that it's a source of joy to speak of Jesus, but what if I don't have any to start with? It's so hard to speak of Jesus, isn't it? If I've got no joy, 
Well, look down at verse 18 and 19. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Secondly, this evening we see Paul finds unspeakable joy in gospel dependence. And so you can just picture him sat in his prison cell, remembering these words. They're both like a truth and a a mantra that he keeps telling himself. You can imagine him sat there. He knows it, and yet he needs to know it. He knows that it's completely true, and yet he needs to remind himself of its complete truth. See, there he is, suffering, facing opposition in a cell, in the midst of tough circumstances. Look, here's Paul's formula for continuing to rejoice. Have a look. Look at verse 19. I'll continue to rejoice. First word in verse 19, for or because. Here's coming up the very reason he can continue to rejoice. Look closely at the verses. Two things that go together to bring about the result. Your prayers and God's provision will turn out for my deliverance. Your prayers plus God's provision equals my deliverance. See, Paul knows that your prayers, the prayers of believers, are used by God. And Paul knows that God provides for his people the spirit of Jesus, which they know to need to keep in every circumstance. See, what a joy it is for Paul to come before a God who listens to the prayers of his people. What a joy to come before a God who provides everything his people need. What a joy to be able to come before a God who's in complete control of every circumstance. To know that when everything is out of his control, our control, my control, they're in completely in God's hands. That's the joy Paul has. That's the joy of gospel dependence. What does dependence really mean? I've um, found myself on the phone a couple of times in the last few weeks, and I've been asked the question, do you have any dependence? Now, I'm not quite sure why, but my instinct is to, is to say no. Then I have to kind of auto-correct myself and say, oh, sorry, yes, yeah, yeah, we do. We have to. And then it's tends to get a bit awkward because they suggest that you don't just forget that you have two children. Anyway, it's been a bit messy at times, but the context, in that context, it's people that are financially dependent on Elise and I. That they couldn't cope without us. They depend on us. That's why the people on the other end of the phone want to know. Paul is a dependent of God. See, look how he calculates how he will get delivered. Just have a look back at the verse. Is it his efforts? His ability, his skill? No. It's through God's provision and the prayers of his people. And that's a significant step in accepting the good news about Jesus, isn't it? Maybe you'll remember the very first time that you trusted Jesus. Admitting that you couldn't do anything about your own situation. We see it all the way through the Bible. Look at the last three books we've looked at. Luke, 
records encounters with Jesus of individuals who desperately needed Jesus to be rescued, people who were dependent on him and lost without him. Esther records the story of God, who is at work behind the scenes to rescue and deliver his people who are completely dependent on every little detail he pulls together. James speaks of how people are dependent on receiving new life that comes by the transforming news of Jesus and dependent on it continuing to transform them in order to live a life that's described in the rest of the book. Paul, he's dependent on God for his own deliverance out of his circumstances. And now you might think, well, isn't it a bit odd that you say Paul's concerned with the spread of the gospel? That was the first point, wasn't it? Most concerned with gospel proclamation. That was the big picture. And now he seems to be most concerned with his own deliverance. Don't those two things just don't fit together? Looks pretty selfish of Paul. Well, look at how Paul describes his own deliverance. Verse 20 and 21. Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, it's the most selfless, selfish concern. He's most concerned that he will be delivered. Yes. What will that deliverance look like? It's not freedom from prison, the obvious thing in the circumstances. It's not recognition for doing the right thing. It's not even countless conversions. It's not even staying alive. It's remaining faithful to the Lord Jesus. See, Paul's attitude of dependence in a prison cell in hopeless circumstances, he's saying this, in and of myself, there's nothing I can do in this circumstance. But I know, God, that you listen to the prayers of your people. I know that you even use them for your purposes. And I know that you provide for your people. So I know it will turn out for my deliverance. Please cause me to honour Jesus. What a bold and confident prayer that he's caused to pray. I wonder if you've ever been caused to pray like that. You've been made completely aware of your own weakness and helplessness. I've heard a well-known preacher that's a really experienced Bible handler say that no matter how many times he's studied the Bible, prepared a passage, no matter how many times he's stood up in front of the congregation to speak, no matter how much knowledge he has, every time he goes to open the Bible with someone who doesn't yet trust in Jesus, he's completely overwhelmed with responsibility. He's nervous, as nervous as the very first time he opened the Bible with someone. He's caused to pray. He's moved to pray. Why? Because he's reminded again of his complete dependence. There's no amount of skill or intellect that could win that person for Jesus. He's completely dependent on God to even open the pages of his word, let alone explain them. We should expect that as we seek to honour Jesus, 
we will be made aware of our weakness. We will be made aware of the, the ways in which we depend on God. When we live out the gospel, as, as Paul's talked about in these verses, <laughs> when we try and arrange to meet a friend to speak of Jesus, we'll be made aware of how weak we are at doing it. Or, or if we give money away to a, a cause worthy of the gospel, we're caused again to recognise our dependence. And when we're caused to depend, Paul says we'll find great joy in the gospel. See, you remember Paul's circumstances? He doesn't use those tough circumstances as an excuse to not have joy. In fact, surely he knows that choosing to proclaim Christ will often bring even more difficult circumstances. That's why he's in prison and he's joyful. He finds unspeakable joy in gospel proclamation. He finds unspeakable joy in gospel dependence. He says, what has happened to, to, happened to me will turn out for my deliverance to honour the Lord Jesus. And so as we think about our own circumstances at this time, we can say, what has happened to me? Coronavirus, isolation, illness, family issues, job worries, financial pressures, relationship breakdown. When we trust in Jesus, they will turn out for our deliverance. So we can have unspeakable joy as we depend on God who's in complete control. Thirdly, verses 23 to 30, we see Paul has unspeakable joy in striving for the gospel, in gospel striving. See in verse 21 where Paul says, whether by life or death, if there's any doubt about whether Paul's about to die, he seems pretty convinced that he's got to stick around. Look at verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I, I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. See, Paul is desperate for the Philippians to continue to progress and find joy in the faith. And he's desperate still that the gospel will be proclaimed. He's a brilliant He's a brilliant, brilliant example to the Philippian church. He knows that he has this joyous responsibility to, to live out and speak out the gospel. Look at verse 27. This is his desire. Verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. The word there, to strive together, Paul's aim, Paul's hope, Paul's prayer for the Philippians, this means to work alongside, to fight for the sake of, to fight side by side for that outcome, it means to wrestle for the cause. It's a, it's a joyous picture of, of hard work, yet with a joyous goal in mind. A couple of years back, I was reading 
the Bible with a golf coach. It was a joy to look at the pages of God's word with someone who didn't yet trust in it. It was a bit of a joy to be in a golf club overlooking the 18th green and sat in a nice um, restaurant. It was a little bit of a joy to have a few free um, golf lessons. Now, I was made very aware of my golf ability. I thought I was okay. I could swim, swing a club. I thought I lacked a little bit of consistency. But see, this coach, he had an unbelievable eye for detail. As I picked up the club and swung through, he watched my fingers, my shoulders, my hips, and gave me comments on what was going on. And he used this phrase as he talked about what it would look like to improve as a golfer. That's a classic coaching cliche that I'm sure you'll have heard in any number of walks of life. Anybody that's tried to lead or coach, you've got to trust the process. You've got to trust the process. But then a little bit later, he said, if you can't enjoy the process of getting better, you won't get to where you want to be. See, the reality is to be an excellent golfer, I imagine, I don't know, you have to have an excellent eye for detail because every little adaptation of of your swing that, that takes you in the right direction to a more consistent, smooth stroke Every little detail, it takes you closer to being that better player. Paul's saying, we must find joy in the process of striving for the gospel. And you see how he frames it. This is the big picture that he's talked about all the way through. To strive together, verse 26, for the sake of boasting in Christ. What's the big picture? As we strive for the gospel, that it will keep being proclaimed verse 27 and live lives worthy of the gospel live out the gospel and speak out the gospel and it seems like as paul addresses the philippians there are frustration in this respect at times and as we look at town church as we look at our own life as we look at the lives of our family at town church maybe it's a frustration Sometimes we don't seem to see progress as much as we'd like. Surely we'd love to see more results. But look back to verse six. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So when your Christian life feels like stepping up to the driving range at 6 a.m., on a cold Wednesday morning in the rain. When your Christian life this week has felt more like a slog than a joy, will you stop and be reminded of the joy of being conformed more and more to the Lord Jesus? That God in his grace has saved you and is transforming you to be more and more like Jesus, ready for the day that you'll be with him. Will you have joy in striving and look Paul's not deluded he knows it he knows it's hard he knows it will involve suffering look at verse 28 for it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him but also to suffer for him of course he knows that he's in a jail cell 
suffering because of what he said about Jesus. But he also knows it's a good work that's begun in him that will be carried on to completion. And so he finds joy. It won't always be really easy to speak of Jesus. It won't always be really easy to depend on the truth of the gospel. But with the spirit in us, we will be conformed. We'll, we'll strive, we'll contend, we'll wrestle for the sake of the gospel. Maybe you're listening now. And there's so much in the back of your head. It's late on a Sunday night and I'm a minute away from finishing and you're thinking about packed lunches for tomorrow. There's so much clouding your mind, stopping you from having the joy that Paul describes. If Paul could tell you one thing from these verses, there is no joy like trusting in Jesus and speaking of him. There is no joy like trusting in Jesus and speaking of him. To accept the gospel, to live it out and proclaim it to others, is such a joyous responsibility that we have now that we've been transformed by Jesus. It puts absolutely everything in the next seven days in its place. The message of the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Romans 1 says, God may use in these circumstances, in these very days in Bistra and beyond, he might use us to bring the people of Bista into eternal life with him forever by the power of his word. Those words put everything in the next seven days into perspective, don't they? Paul says, don't miss out on this joy. Paul says to the Philippian Christians, don't miss out on the joy of proclaiming the gospel. Let's pray. Father, please, would you help us when it's tough, when circumstances cloud the big picture would you help us to see that the good news of the Lord Jesus is the most amazing news? Would you give us the joy of seeing it go out in this and beyond? Would you give us the joy of reading it with our friends? Would you give us the joy of people coming to hear of Jesus and trust in him? Amen.